Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. This is David. I'm Scott. And this is episode number 40. Scott. Four zero. Four zero. Oh, that's fantastic. We are moving through uh, Spurgeon's lectures to my students, particularly the chapter titled The Minister's Fainting Fits. Yep. And yep. so. If you've never read this book, chapter 11 is worth. The whole price Getting the whole of the book. book for it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's a book intent it's a chapter intended to encourage the pastor who is walking through depression. And last week, if you missed last week's episode thirty nine, I gave just a little bit of the story of kind of the last few weeks of my life and how we got to this point. And uh, then we read a little bit of the chapter and uh, Spurgeon began by giving some of the reasons, if you will, for us to uh, have to deal with depression in ministry. And the first one was that, well, we are human, mm-hmm. which I thought was very helpful because I am indeed a human. A human. So now we will begin with uh, the second reason. And here's what he says. Moreover, most of us are in some way or other unsound physically. Here and there we meet with an old man who could not remember that he ever was laid aside for a day, but the great mass of us labor under some form or other of infirmity either in body or mind. Certain bodily maladies, especially those connected with the digestive organs, the liver and the spleen, are the fruitful fountains of despondency. And let a man strive as he may against their influence, there will be hours and circumstances in which they will will for a while overcome him. As to mental maladies, is any man altogether sane? Are we not all a little off the balance? Mm. Some minds appear to have a gloomy tinge essential to their very individuality. Of them, it may be said, melancholy marked them for her own. Fine minds withal ruled by noblest principles, but yet most prone to forget the silver lining and to remember only the cloud. Such men may sing with the old poet, our hearts are broke, our harps unstringed be, our only music sighs and groans, our songs are attuned to the lacrine, we're fretted to all to skin and bones." These infirmities may be no detriment to a man's career of special usefulness. They may even have been imposed upon him by divine wisdom as necessary qualifications for his peculiar course of service. Some plants owe their medicinal qualities to the marsh in which they grow, others to the shades in which they alone flourish. There are precious fruits put forth by the moon as well as by the sun. Boats need ballast as well as sail, Drag on the carriage wheel is no hindrance when the road runs downhill. Pain has probably, in some cases, developed genius, hunting out the soul which otherwise might have slept like a lion in its den. Had it not been for the broken wings, some might have lost themselves in the clouds. Some even of those choice doves who now bear the olive branch in their mouths and show the way to the ark. Where in body and mind there are predisposing causes to lowness of spirit, it is no marvel if in dark moments the heart succumbs to them. The wonder in many cases is, and if inner lives could be written, men would see it too, how some ministers keep that their work at all and still wear a smile upon their countenances. Grace has its triumph still and patience has its martyrs. Martyrs more or less to be honored because the flames kindle about their spirits rather than their bodies and their burning is unseen of human eyes. The ministries of Jeremiah's are as acceptable as those of Isaiah's, and even the sullen Jonah is a true prophet of the Lord, as Nineveh felt full well. Despise not the lame, for it is written that they take the prey. But honor those who, 
being faint, are yet pursuing. The tender-eyed Leah was more fruitful than the beautiful Rachel, and the griefs of Hannah were more divine than the boastings of Penina. Blessed are they that mourn, said the man of sorrows, and let none account them otherwise when their tears are salted with grace. We have the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels, and if there be a flaw in the vessel here and there, let none wonder. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, somebody told me early when I started in ministry that nothing will expose your weaknesses quite so much as pastoral ministry. That's true. It is 100% true. That is very, very true. Yeah, you're never more conscious of the ways in which you are deficient uh, than when you pastor. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes those things may be, you know, what you feel in terms of deficiency of personality. They may feel they may be deficiency in terms of physical limitations. They may be deficient deficiency. I use that air quotes, right? In terms of emotional capacity and capability. And Spurgeon's kind of tucking depression into one of those. Guess what? You have limitations and you are in an earthen vessel, as he said. And so it shouldn't wonder you if there's a flaw in the vessel. Mm-hmm. No one's perfect. You know, I think you have in your mind, or at least I did, you leave seminary, you have in your mind what like the perfect pastor would be. Mm. And unless, if your mind is now filled with any image other than the image of Jesus, then it's wrong. Yep. Right? If when you think, and that's true of church members, like if mm-hmm. you, I'm a, you know, it may be a shock to some listening to this podcast, your pastor is not perfect. But he ain't. But he ain't perfect. And, uh, and, and not only is he not perfect, he has limitations and he has flaws. I think one of the fundamental mistakes that I made that got me to the point where I was, was refusing to accept the fact that not only do I have limitations, but as I age, those limitations increase, not decrease, mm. right? Like as I, you know, there was a day where I could work and I did in the secular world, especially 85, 90 hours a week and never slow down, like just wide open that day is gone. And, and, and and that's okay. That is as it should be. We're not built to work all the time. Mm. You know, I, I don't, I don't pastor a church that has this at all, but I know men who pastor a church where it's both true that the church itself will brag all the time about how hard their pastor works and then will happily work him absolutely to death. Mm. You know, and, and I don't, that's not here. Um, I have heard more comments in the last week about how I should rest and no one questions whether or not I work. You know, there's just, just, just never been a thing. Not since early on in my ministry has that been a real concern by the body of of the church. You're always going to have people from time to time who question what you do. And that may be for any number of reasons, but at the end of the day, um, there is a there's a limitation and a weakness that you've got to be willing to not only admit but embrace, right? Mm-hmm. Because if if I don't embrace my own limitations, I'm not only not only am I not serving myself, I'm not serving my family, and I'm not serving the church because the primary responsibility of the pastor, outside of prayer and ministry of the word, is to equip the saints mm-hmm. for the work of service. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing it all yourself then you're not actually pastoring, mm-hmm. which is a hard word, yeah, uh, but but a really important one. And so, so he, he kind of touched that stuff in there, and then he talks about how it actually can be a a blessing, right? These infirmities may be no detriment to a man's career, special usefulness, 
And then he says, some plants owe their medicinal qualities to the marsh in which they grow. <laughs> you know, it's no mystery that we do ministry in a hard place. Yeah. Um, and we are from the first, it's, it's interesting, from the first year that we started here, we, we jokingly named ourselves the Island of Misfit Toys. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a Christmas reference, mm-hmm. which I love. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's this picture of, you know, we all came in broken, you know, all of us down to the pastor and we all came in really understanding what our flaws were. And somewhere along the way, I don't know that the church ceased to embrace that, but I think I did mm. and, uh, and began to think that I needed to be something that God had not created me to be. Mm. And to be able to, to kind of own that and go, huh, okay, yes, I am, I, you know, this, this is a hard place and there's a lot of hard things. And I, you know, I've got to be able to process and deal with them well. And then sometimes I need to take a step away from them was really has been a really helpful and important part of this whole process. You know, he says the ministries of Jeremiah's are as acceptable as those of Isaiah's, mm-hmm. which is an encouragement. I've been reading Jeremiah. Um, I've, you know, my, my diet. My, for my own personal study has been all things that kind of relate to where I'm at right now. You know, it's, it's, it's God's grace to me that he has allowed me and afforded me enough time to study in the word that I know where the Bible has those things. Right. So mm-hmm. Jeremiah and Lamentations, um, the Psalms, you mm-hmm. know, several Psalms that are particularly helpful right now. Um, Second Corinthians has just been a close friend to me. It's like one of the most neglected Letters of Paul, but I mean, he's just Paul's in agony. You know, at verse eight, chapter one, he says they despair to the point of death. They even believe they'd received the sentence of death. And then chapter one, chapter four, he talks about all of his infirmities, and he adds on top of that, not to mention the anxiety that we feel for all the churches. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there was lest we as pastors be prone to think that all of Paul's anxiety was being beaten by a cat of nine tails and thrown out of Ephesus. No, no, no. There's the anxiety on behalf of all the churches. You know, mm-hmm. by the time you get to second Corinthians, he's he done wrote three letters to these people and they yeah. weren't very good at listening. <laughs> and, and that was one of the churches that he planted. One, one of them. One, one of them. So he's got all this anxiety, you know, that, and, and, and suffering. And yet in the middle of that can say that it pales in comparison with the weight of glory. You know, but he gets it. He feels it. He experiences it. And so, you know, so what he says, the ministry of Jeremiah is acceptable, is as acceptable as the one of Isaiah. You know, that that the ministry of Jonah, though Jonah certainly didn't respond well at the end of the book, he still was a prophet of the Lord mm-hmm. and he was still used. Mm-hmm. And that's the word is if you're if you're feeling this, if you're wrestling through this kind of depression, anxiety, um, it doesn't mean you're not useful. You know, we did Psalm 88, I guess at the time of this podcast, that would be two weeks ago. And when we read Psalm 88, we talked about the fact that Heman, the guy, that, the Ezraite who wrote the, the the psalm was one of the sons of Korah. And it's like this super dark psalm. It ends with darkness is my closest companion. And yet God saw fit to preserve those painful words mm. for all of God's people to read for posterity through the rest of the of, of the time until Jesus returns. Oh, yeah. And so we can take heart in the fact that even in our darkest moments, God can use us. And I've seen that to be the case in my own life in the last couple of weeks. The best thing that I could have done was to really, was to stand up in front of the church. And I get not every guy can do this. Not every pastor can do this. There's some pastors that if you do this, they'll fire you. Mm-hmm. Not here. Uh, praise the Lord. 
to stand up in front of the church and go, this is what has happened. This is how I'm feeling. Let's all talk about it. And to hear so many, particularly men, talk to you during the course of the week and say, I'm so glad you're talking about this. I feel this. I experience this. There are, I think that for me was helpful too. There are a lot of people in the pews who feel this stuff and don't know what to do with it either. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of leaning in on what we said last week in the podcast, right? The role of the pastor is to suffer publicly mm-hmm. so that the people may learn how to suffer privately. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love when he talks about, he says as to, to mental, he's talking about all these weaknesses, and he says as to mental maladies, is any man altogether sane? I love that. No. Are we not all a little off the balance? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's. That's helpful. I think that's helpful for us to hear from somebody in Spurgeon's time, because I think it's so tempting for us to get this impression. It's so easy to get this impression because of, you know, modern day psychology that all of this just kind of ran rampant in the last, you know, couple of decades. Right. You know, that before the you know 50s and 60s, everything was, you know, rose colored glasses. And right. You know, before we had, you know, these televisions that were telling us how we were supposed to live our lives, you know, people had, you know, good times and and all that, you know, it's easy to paint the past in these very rosy looking pictures. Right. That it everything was better then, everything was good then. But to see somebody very, very, very much in the past mm-hmm. look around and go, man, there ain't none of us. That are all together saying, "Aren't we all like, a little off?" Like, yeah. like if we're being honest with ourselves here, we're all a little off in some way or another, right? Because, and you know, it's easy for me to look around in the current time and go, "Man, we're all a little off at some point or another." So I read, I read a book. Um, uh, I don't know if I should say the name of it or not. I read a book written, I won't, written by uh, a very prominent psychology professor about bipolar disorder. Uh, manic depression from a secular perspective because I try to read both perspectives. I'm very, very biblical counseling minded, but it's really good to know what the other, what other perspectives are saying, you know. And so I was, I read this book and, uh, and it was fascinating. The thing that made it most fascinating is recognizing the fact that the reason that she was so fascinated with the study of bipolar disorder was because she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. That she, spent her life in an office or in a classroom trying to help other people find a sanity that she herself would freely admit that she didn't have. <laughs> so what are you trying to find? What do you, How do you even know when you find it? The blind leading That's the, the blind. That's the blind leading the blind, right? And, and at the end of the day, it comes back to, in the secular world, a model like that is a blind leading the blind. In the Christian world, when we all recognize that, it's beggars helping other beggars find bread. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the difference in the in the biblical counseling world. I'm I'm walking with someone else, going, "Look, I don't have it all together either. In fact, here's how I don't have it all together. So let's both run to Jesus mm-hmm. because He's the one who has it. He has the keys of the kingdom. He is the one who is the God of all comfort, Father of mercies, who comforts us in our affliction. So let's go there instead of you trying to come to me as the 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 talking head expert on all things. Let's just both go to Jesus and see what He has to offer us. And that was the that was the difference. But we we put this model of having it all together, 
yeah. you know, of all togetherness as though that's a thing that anybody has. Yeah. But we're all broken. And if we weren't, there would be no need for the gospel. There'd be no need for Christ. And so to hear, but to hear Spurgeon say that, because if anybody would have been thought of as a guy who had it all together, mm-hmm. it's the prince of preachers, right? Yeah. And he's like, look, ain't none of us all together saying, you know, we're, <laughs> we're all a little, as he says, off the balance. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, I think that's a comfort, not just in the midst of depression, but in the midst of anything. Yep. In the midst of anxiety, in the yep. midst of fear, in the midst of, yep. you know, you name it, man, just because, just because your particular malady differs from depression doesn't mean that what Spurgeon's saying here doesn't apply to you. Right. That we're, we're all a little off the balance. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it comes back to that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. It means more than one thing, right? It doesn't just mean, it doesn't mean like you're off on an island by yourself and no one's ever experienced this. It also means all of us have our, we, we either do have or will have our share of suffering. Mm-hmm. And my suffering may not look like your suffering. You know, what I experience and endure in having these dark thoughts and wrestling in my own mind may be fundamentally different than what you experience in terms of suffering in your life. But what we have in common is that we will suffer. Right? Because by the second Corinthians one, as we share in the sufferings of Christ, so also then we can share in the comfort of Christ. Mm. But we'll all we'll all have some experiences like that. And there will be some times I think the most sane people sane people are the people who from time to time in the midst of deep grief and sorrow actually ask themselves, Am I losing it? Mm. Like, am I really losing it? Like I I found it's kind of like it's like the conversion question. You know, only Christians really are concerned with losing their salvation. (laughs) Only sane people are really worried about losing their sanity. (laughs) Most of the folks who were legitimately we would consider to be, I guess, certifiably insane, they 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 ain't worried about it. They're convinced that all the rest of the world has lost it. (laughs) But they they got it. They got it down. Yeah. And so so when we start asking ourselves those questions, there's actually hope kind yeah. of built into that of, wait a minute, the fact that I'm asking this says that I'm maybe on the right track here. Yeah. So that's yeah, good. And I think too, risk you know, we you talked you taught some about respecting your limitations and that being, you know, a us really not respecting your limitations really isn't a service to you or mm-hmm. a service to the church or mm-hmm. a service to your family. I mean, really, I think one of the ways that that plays out is if you don't respect your limitations, then long-term ministry isn't happening, isn't yeah. going to be a thing. Yeah. You know, that you, you will not, you know, if you, if you desire to be in ministry for a long time mm. and you don't respect mm. the limitations that the Lord has given you, oh, man. then you, you can go ahead and just... Just put that desire to the side. Yeah. Because you will not be, you will not stand this. Yeah. So I, statistics, statistics mean something. They don't mean everything, but I gave a few last week. So this week, here's your, here's your pastoral statistic of the week. Mm. Um, I think it's 20% of the people who start seminary retire in ministry. One in five. One in five. If you're, if you're in seminary right now. There's a 75 to 80% chance, right? 80% chance, quick math. That you will not. That you won't retire in ministry. Yeah. And there's any number of reasons for that. But one of them is because we don't intentionally create that margin for ourselves. One of the best things that a guy told me, and I think I've shared this with you, um, and I'm sure he got it from somebody else, 
but we were having coffee and I was just pouring out my heart and he looked at me and said, Jesus died for the church. You don't have to. Mm. And uh, that was one of those stop me in my track sort of moments of going, mm. huh, that's a pretty good sentence. That's I don't, don't know where he got it from, but it's true. Jesus right? died for the church. So to to you pour yourself it. out as a drink offering does not mean that you totally, literally kill yourself for the sake of, of the gospel, at least not, not this way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, persecution is one thing. Self-inflicted persecution because of a workaholism that we would, that we would put a thinly veiled disguise of holiness over. Mm. <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. You yeah. know, they, the times that I'm working the hardest, mostly if I'm being totally honest with myself, have less to do with God's approval and more to do with the approval of other people. Mm. Mm. Man, how do you how, how do you, how do you help somebody? How do you help somebody listening to this figure out if that's true in their life? What What are the question? What are the check engine lights? I guess oh, that's a great question. Of hey, if you're if you're seeing this in your heart, you probably need to probably need to take a step and maybe evaluate yeah. some things. Man, so so Ed Welch has a great book um, called "When People Are Big and God Is Small." Mm. Great, uh, fantastic book. Uh, he's also alive, so we won't be reading that one. Yeah, but um, but you should you should read that one. And if you're here at the church, we if we don't have copies of that in the church library, we'll we make can sure that them. we have some. Yeah. Um, but that that book has, and the reason I'm referring to that, there's a whole list of questions there mm. to determine whether this is a thing. I think, um, and and I think those would probably be far better at this than I would for for me. I can tell you how it was for me was um, I started to evaluate the last 10 leadership decisions that I've made, big, major leadership decisions that I've made in the church. And I asked myself, what really motivated me for this decision? Mm. What motivated me to make this decision? What motivated me to do this thing? And I had to be really honest with myself. It comes back to, you know, um, AA, and their model of sobriety is the step one is to take a fearless moral inventory. Mm. I think step so so I don't I don't really know how else to function other than to go that way and take a fearless moral inventory. Um, I think that's I don't think that's them. I think that's biblical. Of I got to look inward mm. in order to properly look unward, upward. You know, so so I'm looking inward and seeing, man, if I made 10, 10 major leadership decisions, I'd say at least seven of them had something to do with the fact that I thought someone else wanted me to make those decisions mm. and not very much to do with the fact that I thought God was calling me to make that. Now, were they wrong? Not necessarily, but the motives are wrong. And if the motives are wrong in the decisions you make in pastoral ministry, you have set yourself up for burnout. Yes. I mean, because now you, you will, you will constantly be running from one person's opinion to the other or from, yes from one group who wants you to do things this way to this group who wants you to do things this way. And the next thing you know, you're in this frantic mess because all these people are observing you do all this work. They don't know what's going on between your ears. Yeah. It's totally right for church people to say, Hey, have we thought about doing X, Y, Z? Just like it's totally right for you as pastor to say, no, we're going to pray about that. I'll bring that back to leadership. We're going to talk about it, think about it, pray about it, and then we'll make it a soon. Mm-hmm. But but what is the real underlying motive behind those decisions, right? And and you know if you're if you're like me and you're prone to kind of a workaholism, why do you stay at work later than you should? Mm. 
you know, is it at the end of the day, um, again, I'm stealing a quote and I would describe it, but I don't remember who said it. It just wasn't me. At the end of the day, the only people that are going to remember that you stayed late for church will be your children. Mm. Right? Nobody else will remember those late hours. Your kids will. Um, your family will. Your wife will. And recognizing those things, like if you if you get to that point where you're constantly making decisions just to be pleasing to other people and you're working way more hours than you should be in order to please those other people, you're setting yourself up for depression and burnout 10 out of 10 times. It's yeah, coming. It's coming. It's just coming. a matter of time. Because, as this guy said, you're weak. You have physical limitations. Yeah. And you've missed what the primary responsibility of the pastor is, to equip the saints with the work of service. Yeah. Yeah. This one's been long. Mm. Well, that's two. That's two. We're now two podcasts and one, two, three pages into... This chapter, David. Mm. I we're gonna like, we're gonna be here a while, Scott. Like we might be here a while as I continue to turn pages. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna be here a while. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, friends. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share my own heart. And again, if if this is an experience that you have had, I'm gonna encourage you. Or if this is where you are, I'm gonna encourage you to find somebody that you can reach out to and make contact with, uh, whether that be a person in your church if you could trust them. A denominational employee of some type, associational worker, or another pastor, yeah, uh, or a counselor. But you, you've got to talk to somebody, and you've got to be able to explore this stuff. Thanks for letting us explore it with you. We hope it's been a blessing to you. If it is, uh, I want to encourage you. We don't often self market, um, mm-hmm. but I want to encourage you. If you're listening to this and you think that someone could benefit from this conversation, would you do us a favor and share this on? Whatever your favorite social media outlet might be, we're you know we're making this public so that we can help other people because we desire to be a help. And so, if you think it might be a help, uh, if you would uh, if you would send this over, um, post it somehow, share it with them uh, so that they could hear, we would we would be honored if you would do that. Yeah. Thank you, friends. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye.